0: Sounded like the announcer for Price is Right. Come on down. I used to watch that show when I was at my grandparents' house when I was a kid. Um, It's just different now. Of course, I'm never home during the days now. I wouldn't watch it, I guess. It's just different without Bob Barker there. Um, Good memories. Take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I don't know if you're like me, but when i 'm singing especially in a church setting like this, and we 're worshiping the Lord through song. I find myself as I sing a phrase or you know we 're we're, we're singing a phrase together, I begin to think about the biblical background for whatever we 're singing and affirming with our lyrics and so it's ministers to my heart as I sing along and I think about, well, man, they're talking about the, the glory and the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and they're, they're affirming the fact that, that we're adopted children into the family of God, and so I don't know about you, but this morning, the, minister, the songs really minister to my heart and encourage me in my faith uh, to love Jesus a little bit more uh, deeper and to serve Him a little bit more uh, passionate in, in my own personal life. Thank you, Nick and team, for leading us this morning the way you have, and um, I trust that God has prepared our hearts to speak to us now from his word. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, last November, uh, you probably saw this uh, on the TV and internet and the newspapers or whatever you may use to get your, uh, your daily dose of what's happening in the world, but on November 8th last year, a small campfire in the Sierra Nevada foothills was set ablaze by high winds. The soaring temperatures, the gusty winds, and the parched vegetation really set up a perfect scenario for a forest fire. In fact, Cal Fire, which is the state of California's Forestry and Fire Protection Agency, battled this particular fire for 17 long days. It burned. It burned through 153,000 acres of Butte County just north of Sacramento. Killed at least 85 people, destroyed 14,000 different residences, and it charred an area the size of the city of Chicago on its way to becoming California's most destructive wildfire in history. Uh, If you've been out west, or sometimes you don't even have to go out west to see a a wildfire, but if you've ever witnessed a wildfire just kind of out there, you've seen how massive they can become. We were in uh, Arizona two years ago in June. And uh, going to the Grand Canyon and uh, on the uh, side of the mountain right outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, there was a wildfire that had been going on for days. And it was just amazing to watch it from several miles away and just how massive it was up on the side of the mountain. The smoke that rose way up into the heavens and literally would, would impact cities and areas hundreds of miles away. Wildfires like this will eat up hundreds if not thousands of acres per day. And so when you think about the destructive force of a wildfire and how massive it is and how powerful it is, it's, it's amazing even, even as it's horrific. But the reason for me that it's so amazing is because you begin to think about how that fire began. You have a massive wildfire eating up thousands upon thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of acres, and, and, and hot, and, and you know the temperatures are extremely high, and yet when you think about that wildfire, it started with one small flame, one small flame. Wildfire there in Butte County was the result of a campfire that got out of hand. That campfire more than likely was started with a simple flame, maybe from a big lighter or a match. And it turned into a raging, massive forest fire. You see, the, 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 the small deposit impacted a vast area of land. When you think about that. You think about the Bible and what it tells us about our own lives. We see that there's an even more powerful deposit that has been made into the life of each and every believer. There's a, a deposit in your life as a father of Jesus that's greater than the wildfire that we've just talked about. According to the Bible, the Spirit of God has made a tremendous deposit in each and every one of our lives. This morning, I want to speak to that subject. I want to talk about the Spirit's deposit. We've been working verse by verse through this second letter of Timothy, this letter that Paul wrote there on the back end of his life, writing it to Timothy, his young mentee in the faith. The apostle's purpose in writing this letter was to encourage Timothy in his own personal walk with Jesus, as well as to encourage him in the ministry. He wanted to spur him on in godly training. He wanted to ensure that Timothy understood that that you can't just coast in life. You see, as I said several weeks ago, you don't just wake up one day as a success story. No, if you want to be a success, you have to work toward that end. That means you've got to discipline yourself. You've got to take steps necessary to make yourself or to set yourself up for success. The Bible's clear, we don't work for our salvation, but it does say in Philippians 2.12 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we're to put our salvation to work in our lives, and the Bible would speak to this, and we would call it the process of sanctification. The idea that we are being conformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that God gives us grace In our redemption, He gives us grace in this call to salvation, this call to relationship and fellowship with Himself. And in that, He gives us forgiveness of sin. But also in our salvation, as we walk in sanctification, He also comes alongside of us and deposits grace, more grace, into our lives. We talked about there in verses 3 and 4, the mentor's deposit, and how it's the, the gift of grace in our lives, the, the idea that Lord has given each and every one of us spiritual mentors to come alongside and encourage and challenge and, and hold us accountable in our walk with Jesus. We talked about on Mother's Day in verse 5 that one of the great graces that God's given us is, is spiritual parents who will love us to Jesus, will speak to us and teach us the word of God. and. <clears throat> glad you prayed for my voice. Maybe it will kick in in a minute because as we were singing, I was like, oh, I just did something. Um, I guess I was singing too loud. So I got a little scratch in my throat, but I think I can control it. But our parents are so encouraging. I mean, when we have a godly mom and a godly dad, they are a tremendous influence in our lives. And so we, too, as parents, are those types of influence to our own children if we're walking with the Lord and pointing them to the Lord themselves. This morning, as we look here in verses 6 and 7, We're going to see the Spirit's deposit in our lives. What is the deposit God has made into us? What does it look like? And so look and read with me, if you will, in verses 6 and 7. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul here, on the basis of Timothy's sincere faith, this faith that he talked about back in verse 5, he's appealing to Timothy to exercise that faith and to fan it into flame, the, the gift of God that is in him. That is God's own spirit. See, based on the surrounding context, of what we see in the first and second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we, we learn a few things about Timothy. We know that he wasn't necessarily this spiritual rock, the type of rock that the apostle Paul was. No, Timothy had a little bit of timidity in him. He had a little bit of fearfulness in him. He had a little bit of a, a, a tendency to, to maybe shrink back when he should have stood firm. He was personally timid. He was physically weak. He was also, at least compared to Paul, relatively young. Though at this point he had been in the ministry for several years, he wasn't the seasoned ministry veteran that the Apostle Paul was. It needed to be a little bit more water underneath the bridge to raise him up as a leader to what he needed to be. But God delights in using the weak. God delights in using the ordinary in order to distri- demonstrate his mighty power. I mean, think about it. God uses all of us, and we're nothing more than what the Bible would call clay jars. We're just rudimentary, basic type of, of people, and God does extraordinary things in and through us. And so this morning, from these two verses, I, I want to point out three things that we need to understand about this deposit of God's Spirit that's in our life. These three things Timothy needed to know in order... To, to continue to grow in his walk and to be used of the Lord. And they're the same three things that are true of us today. So let me give them to you, and we'll walk through this text together. Number one, there is a gift given. I want you to see here that there is a gift given. Look again at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There is the gift of God. This gift has been Given to us by the Lord, the use of this phrase and its its use elsewhere in the New Testament speak of a special spiritual gift that's bestowed upon Timothy by the Lord. Its association here is in conjunction; it's in association with Paul actually laying his hands on Timothy in some sort of ordination or commissioning type of ceremony. And so this ceremony, this act, uh, seems to have been related to Timothy's actual call to the ministry. And it was the means by which God bestowed this gift. And therefore, the gift was probably, as the great preacher John Stott says, a special endowment or anointing of the Spirit with t- which Timothy received to equip him for the work to which he had been Called. And so there was a special calling upon Timothy's life, and with this special calling came a special gift to enable him to do it. And it happens for all of us. God empowers all of us to do that which he's called us to do. And so this special gift flowed out of the initial gift that was given in Timothy's life. Look again at verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and of self Control. Now, most of our Bible translations that we probably have in our hands this morning—if you've got a copy of the Bible that's actually paper, hold it up. I'm just curious. Okay, put them down. If you've got an electronic, hold it up. All right, I'm just curious. No judgment whatsoever because I preach from a a typed, you know, a paper Bible, and then when I go to small group in a little bit, I will put this on my desk and carry my phone. Why I do that, I don't know. It's just uh, I, I do it every single week. Um, because I'm not leading a small group anymore, so I just put the Bible down. It's easier to carry a phone. I was just curious how many people actually bring Bibles, because what I've noticed over the 20 so years I've been in ministry, that when you stand and preach and you say, open your Bible to such and such, you don't hear this paper rattling anymore. Sometimes you hear phones opening or things like that. It's just interesting. Uh, So let's look at the text here. In this translation, or most of our translations, they're probably going to translate the word Spirit in verse 7 in the lowercase rather than in the uppercase, indicating that it's not the Holy Spirit in this first uh, mention of the word Spirit. Um, The reason for this is that they look at this statement and they say that it begins with a negative and it's followed by a positive statement. And so they would just attribute this as not relaying or referring back to the Holy Spirit but referring to this, this spirit or this gift that's within Timothy. And so they recognize the positive affirmation that follows the conjunction, but, you see when he says, but of power and of love and of self-control, they see it as referring to the gift the Spirit of God brings into the life of the believer. He is the one who gives us power and love and self-control. The Holy Spirit does that, not our own abilities. And so if this understanding is correct, and I personally believe it is, then the pronoun used, the the pronoun us that is used, refers to Christians in general, rather than simply referring only to Paul and to Timothy. And also in this verse, we see that the verb gave is in the aorist tense, which refers back to the past action of God. Beginning in every Christian's life when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. And so the gift that's initially given to us when we come to Jesus Christ is what? It's the gift of God himself as he comes to take up residence within our, what we would call, hearts. Within our spirits, within our being, the Spirit of God is deposited into our lives. Romans 8 verses 9, 11, 14 through 16 would speak of this. First Corinthians 12, 13 as well. But notice what the gift of God's Spirit produces in our lives. First, Paul says it does not produce fear or Timidity. You see, when God gets a hold of our life and God begins to, to call us and, and equip us to do something for him and for the goodness of others, he doesn't give us something that's going to cause us to shrink back. No, he always gives us something that's going to help us push forward. See, based on Timothy's temperament and the difficult situation in which he and Paul found themselves, it would have been easy and perhaps even natural for him to say, I don't need to go there. I don't need to do that. I don't need to, to make things more difficult. And so I'm just gonna hold back. But that's not what God does. God's spirit never produces fear in our lives. Instead, it always produces power and love and self-control. Power here is the the word from which we get our word dynamite. See, the power of God is present within each and every one of our lives. We have the power of God. I was wondering, as we were singing just a while ago, as we declare what Jesus has done for us and what he's done in us, how many of our lives actually bear testimony of that? That The the life of Jesus is being pressed out through our lives. How many people can see that and identify that there's something starkly different in their life. There's something that's come over them. There's something that's changed them, that's transformed them. And it can be no other than the, the power of God himself. So many times we as Christians, myself included, we live such impotent Christian lives because we're not allowing the power of God to press itself out through our lives. Power enables us to thrive and to complete the ministry that God has given us to do. A lot of times you'll hear pastors talk about burnout. Maybe I just never got there yet, but that just, I don't understand that concept. I've had small group leaders come and tell me that before. You know, I just need a break. And maybe you've got legitimate Reasons for that. I don't want to discount those, but I've just in my own personal walk with the Lord, and as I serve Him, God always gives me everything I need to accomplish the task He's called me to to accomplish. And so, I would rather burn out than rust out. But so many Christians today are just kind of setting down. They're not doing anything. They're not allowing God's power to be to be real in them and through them. They're just kind of coasting along. And then you get on the backside of life, and when things haven't Uh, Turned out the way you thought they would Or wanted them to And you wonder what happened Well what happened is you never did anything With the thing that was deposited in you And so how could you ever expect to have a different outcome Than what you're experiencing The power enables us to thrive Are we thriving today in our Christian lives Are you more like Jesus today Than when you came to know Jesus 20 years ago 5 years ago Last week perhaps Spirit also is characterized by love. According to Galatians 5.22, this is the first evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. You see, the Spirit of God enables us to unconditionally love others, unconditionally, without judgment, without uh, um, any inability to, to, without any sort of hindrance in how we accept them. No prejudice whatsoever. I was at a local business here this past week and... and um, I always try to keep the fact that I'm the pastor of Red Lane incognito if I can. Because, number one, I don't like to be in the limelight. Number two, if I say I'm a pastor, it, everything changes conversationally. So if I was going to try to invite them, I was going to try to have a gospel conversation, I, I just kinda, I didn't close the door, but I, I kind of half closed it. Because sometimes people just close off. And so uh, I'd email back and forth with one of the guys. Because this is my second time there, and I'm trying to get a... A part of my my lawnmower fixed, and so um, he's like, "Hey, you're the pastor of Red Lane." And I was like, "How did you know that?" I'm thinking you've been reading my emails. You've been did you follow me back to the church when I left here the other day. What? How did you know this? And he's like, "Oh, it's in your uh, your signature on your emails." Like, man, I should have used my other email account. But uh, um, and so that that actually opened an opportunity for me to say, hey, "You go to church anywhere?" and and his wife and said, oh, "I used to go to Red Lane years and years ago." I said, oh, what happened? Why don't you still go today? And She proceeded to tell me that uh, she was hurt because someone in our church, and this is probably decades ago, made fun of what some kid was wearing. And so here I am, the pastor of Rain Lane Baptist Church. Of course, I'm not one of those guys that we have to go back and rewrite history. History is what it is. But we never should make that same mistake again. As a church, we should be full of love and acceptance, and and I would boldly stand before anyone in our community and say that is who we are as a church today. We are a church who accepts all people, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious at his sight. Amen? We love everybody. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you came up on. It doesn't matter your, your belief system, your past. It doesn't matter what you're engaged in now. It doesn't matter what sin you're living in. You are accepted here. You're loved here in a church. Why? Because that's how God looks at you. So, that may, may that be true of us. Spirit of God leads us to love. And when we can love, we can serve. We can serve God and we can serve others. Finally, Paul says that the gift is characterized by self-control. As we surrender to the leadership of the Spirit, we are able to discipline our bodies and lead our flesh. Listen, rather than it leading us. How many times is our flesh leading our minds and our hearts rather than our mind and our heart leading our flesh? Let's just put it a better way. Our Spirit leading our hearts. Because our hearts can be led astray. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? And so we need to be led by our spirits as they are in connection with God's spirit. We need to lead our flesh because our flesh is corrupt and evil. That's why many times our mouths don't bear witness to the goodness of God because we're saying things we shouldn't say. We're looking at things we shouldn't look at. We're a part of things we shouldn't be a part of. We need to have self-control. We need our spirits to be leading. As we are fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we need to then bring the rest of our lives along with it. And so as a Christ follower... The Lord's given us his spirit, just as he said in John 14, 16. He is our helper. He's the one who enables us to carry out the ministry the Lord has called us to do. And so we need to walk in his spirit. We need to abide in his spirit. This was true of Timothy. The deposit was there in his life. The spark was present. And Paul instructed him here to fan the flame, fan the flame, the gift of God in his life. The idea here is to rekindle the gift. The picture is of a fire that has the potential of dying. Paul's not saying to Timothy, Timothy, I'm looking at your life, I'm looking at the fire of your life, and it seems to be waning. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's telling Timothy, man, you got to continually stoke the fire. you got to continue to put wood on the fire. you got to continue to do everything that you need to be doing, everything that God's called you to do. You need to follow it with a hot heart, because when you do that, the fan continues to be flamed. The flame continues to be fanned. you all catch that? That's a good one. <clears throat> you got what I, you, you know what I'm saying. I love, I, I'm, I'm a half of a pyromaniac. Um, I, I love fires and many times we'll have a fire burning out around our house, at least when it's legal and uh, sometimes when it's not legal, but uh, I'm always there to control it, Right? Uh, my neighbor burns all the time. doesn't matter. So uh, uh, I'm just following his example. i <laughs> just kidding. All of our neighbors do that, I'm sure. But uh, think about what a fire is. Fire is something that will last as long as the wood's there. As long as you continue to put logs in the fire and you don't put water on the fire, it's going to continue to burn, right? Perpetual. That's what Paul said saying to Timothy. You need to continue to put some wood on the fire, Timothy, and like Timothy, we need to do this in our own lives. We have a, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we've received his spirit. He's deposited himself into our lives upon conversion. And therefore, the, as the Bible says, he's our helper. He's the one who teaches and leads us into all truth. We've also been equipped with spiritual gifts for the ministry that God's called us to do. This brings us to the second thing we need to know. And this will be a little quicker. Secondly, there is a gift received. A gift received. The Holy Spirit has been deposited into our lives as a follower of Jesus. And and as a follower of Jesus, we've been called and gifted for a specific ministry. I just want you to hear that again. As a follower of Jesus, you have been called and equipped for a certain task. Every one of us. Some of you need to wake up to that reality. And also, some of you who served long ago need to wake up and say and realize this. There's no such t- thing as retirement in the Christian life. All right? You say, oh, I've, I've served my time. I put my time in the nursery. Okay, go on to something else. I put my time in the nursery, too. I'm trying to get my last one out of diapers, and I'm done. I don't, I don't do nursery things. I will if I have to, if, but thankfully, I get to preach every Sunday. I don't, I, I don't have to be in an area that I'm not necessarily qualified for. But all of us have a calling on our life, whatever it may be. All of us are called to serve God, to serve people, and we need to to live out the calling using the giftedness God has placed within us. Here's a statement. God never commissions anyone to a task without imparting a special gift appropriate for it. And so the question is not whether or not a gift has been given. The question really is, have we received or better yet acknowledged this gift? Have we come to the point in the realization that this is something God has gifted me to do for his glory and for the good of others? I get to be a minister. It's not just the guy that stands on the stage or the guy that plays the, the keyboard. It's not just the, the small group leader. All of us get to play a part in this thing called the ministry of God. And So Timothy had to receive God's gift to him. He had to acknowledge it in his own life. He had to come to a place of surrender. Surrendering to the reality of God's presence and his power. Coupled with his spiritual gift. And the fact that it was greater than his personality... And greater than his circumstances. Sometimes we'll say this. I don't think I could ever do that. I'm just not the right temperament for that. I'm not the right personality for that. That's not just who I am. By nature, I am a, a much more of an introvert than an extrovert. And yet, I, I find enjoyment and excitement and exhilaration in standing and preaching the word. Now, if I had to stand here and just say anything and everything like a, a, someone else, a public speaker. No, give that to someone else. But I find extreme excitement and, and enthusiasm and empowerment when I get to stand behind the, well, I was going to say a sacred desk. But this is more like a podium. Um, this, this podium here, when I get to stand before people and teach the word of God, I feel like I'm doing exactly what God's called and gifted me to do. I may not be very good at it, but I'm just exercising the, the, the whatever talent he's given to me. I'm trying to live it out as best I can and live it to the fullest. So i got to acknowledge that. You've got to acknowledge that. Timothy had to acknowledge that in his own life. And by acknowledging this reality, Timothy could minister with courage. Think about it. Courage rather than fear. He could minister with strength instead of weakness. He could minister with confidence rather than doubt. He could minister in love instead of apathy. It's true of all of us. You and I have to surrender to the reality that God's presence and His power in our lives coupled with the spiritual gift that He's given us are greater than our personalities, greater than our circumstances. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came up from. It doesn't matter the struggles in your life, what you were like before you came to Jesus. None of that matters. It all matters and rests upon what has God called you to do, what has He gifted you to do. Now go do it. This leads us to a third thing. The gift has to be utilized. There's a gift utilized. See, Timothy was instructed to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan it into flame. Keep putting the wood on there. Keep putting the oxygen to it. Think about this. Gifts are only beneficial if they're used. They're only beneficial if they're used. I remember 16, well, I guess longer than that now. Karen and I have been married almost 16 and a half years. And we did what every young couple that's heading toward the marriage altar does. You go and register for your wedding gifts, right? And so back then, it's probably the same now, but all the gifts were primarily for women. And um, we didn't go to Bass Pro or anything like to register. I mean, I would have registered for a new bass boat or a couple rods and reels, shotgun, camp, camper maybe, an RV. That's what I would have registered for. It's cheaper than rent maybe. Um, You'd like that, wouldn't you? If we'd have lived in an RV for the first five or six years down by the river, oh, that'd have been nice. Now, we went to like Pier 1 and Target and places like that and registered for stuff. And so we, we, got, we got some great stuff. You got linens, you got dishes, you got cooking utensils, you got, I don't know what else, just stuff that we needed for the home. But we also registered for fine china. And we got some people who gave us fine china. Later, we thought, why did these people waste their money on this stuff, right? Because it sat in our china cabinet for years and years. I really can only ma- remember like twice that we ever pulled it out and used it. We really just used it to collect the dust. That then we would dust and take the dust out of our house. It was really worthless. Great gift, though. Expensive, beautiful, wonderful looking. I think we sold them or got rid of them a few years ago. Maybe right before we moved here. I'm not sure. But it's been, it's been a while since we've had fine china in our house. Now we, we eat on... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say this. I was going to say we eat on the fine china paper plates. But we don't. We... Uh, We eat on regular plates. But think about the money that was invested, the great intentions that was that was there when people bought us this fine china, and then what did we do with it? We left it in the cabinet. Gifts are only good if they're used. They're only beneficial if they're put into use, if they are utilized. The same is true of our spiritual gifts. The things that God's deposited into our lives, they are only good, they're only beneficial if we utilize them in our lives and in the ministries God's called us to be a part of. Do you know how the Spirit this morning has gifted you? Do you know what God's deposited into your life? Yes, His presence, but with His presence, what has He specifically gifted you to do for His glory and for the good of others? You may wonder, how in the world do I... Learn what my gift is. Well, there are some tests that you can take. There are some spiritual inventory type tests. And, and we can help you find one of those tests and take those tests. And, and they're moderately beneficial for at least guiding you into the direction of what your gift may be. And, and, and you may be in helps or um, hospitality or, 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 or uh, proclam- um, prophecy. I was trying to think. of that. That's not like telling the future. That is more like declaring the word of God, teaching the word of God. You may... It may funnel you toward those areas, but this is what i found in my own personal life and as I've walked with others who are struggling and, and striving to figure out what their spiritual gift is. Here's how you, the best way to learn it. Go serve. Roll your sleeves up. Put your yes on the table. And as you serve in various areas, what the Spirit of God will do is he brings others along your path to encourage, to equip, to... to um, to, to maybe f- direct you in different directions because they will affirm or unaffirm certain things about your life and your calling and what God will do is he will use those times of service to bring you to a re- realization of this is what you're passionate about and the reason you're passionate about it's because God's giving you the passion for it. And so I would say if you want to know what your spiritual gift is come and say I need to find a place to serve. I need to put my my, my spiritual life, the deposit God's put in me, I need to put it into use for the glory of God. So put me to work. Put me to work. We've got places for you to serve. Timothy here needed to be reminded to utilize his gift. Most of the time, the problem is not that you don't know your gift. I really believe the problem begins with, with you not utilizing it. You have to continue to fan the flame. You, you have to continually to put it to work and allow God's Spirit to blow on that flame. The Butte County fire last year moved from a small campfire to a raging wildfire all because of the wind. It was fanned into flame for 17 straight days. See, the gift of God in you can become, like this wildfire, a mighty force for God and for good if you will fan it and keep on fanning it each and every day. Fan the flame. This leads us to two responsibilities that we need to consider. Number one, keep the fire ablaze. You and I are responsible. That's what Paul's telling Timothy here. Timothy, you are responsible for fanning the flame in your life, keeping it ablaze in your life. You have to make full use of the gift. That's how you fan it into flame. That's how you keep it ablaze. you got to put it to work, passionately exercising this gift. See, there's no room for sluggishness. There's no room for laziness in the Christian life. None. That's why I said earlier that there's no concept in the Christian life of retirement. Retirement from work? Yes. Retirement from service and ministry to the Lord? Absolutely not. I plan on preaching as long as I'm physically able. Now, I may not vocationally be preaching, but as long as I have breath in my lungs, I plan to preach the Word of God. I'll do it itinerant one day because I don't have enough strength to get to the office and go to meetings, more more likely. But I'll have the energy to preach. Keep it ablaze. Jesus said in John 15:2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so serve God serve others many times I've heard Christians wonder why God seems to be absent from their life, why they can't uh, really understand his, his will, why they're struggling to know His will in their life. The reason they feel this way is not because God has abandoned them. God never leaves us. And One of the things that I was thinking about as we were singing earlier is the fact that God is immutable. He never changes. The fact that God never forsakes us. He is not the one that abandons. He never moves away. We move away. We abandon Him. So we let our fire die down. The way to stoke the coals and the way to get them burning hot again is to fan the flame, the gift of God in your life. If you've ever camped overnight and you had a good uh, fire in the evening into the night before you went to bed and you wake up the next morning and you want to cook the bacon and the eggs. And let's say this. Bacon and eggs taste so much better on a campfire than they do at home on a stove. I don't know what it is about them. They taste better. They always taste good, but they taste better on the campfire. So what do you do when you wake up early in the morning, when it's still dark outside, it's cold? What do you do? You walk out there, you put some kindling, some little sapling stuff on, the, on the, those coals that, are, that look, they look white, they look like dust, and you think there's nothing there, there's maybe just a little heat. You, you stick a poker in there, you turn those coals over, you bend down by the fire, you take a big breath of air, and you blow on those hot coals, and what happens? Flame. that's what you need to do how do i know the will of god start serving start putting your spiritual gift into action and it's amazing how god will begin to direct your course really it's not him directing your course you're just spiritually sensitive to hear him now when you weren't before keep the fire ablaze secondly you're responsible for maintaining spiritual discipline this requires a proper perspective Our eyes must remain on Christ as we listen to and follow the leadership of the Spirit. See, we need to rest in His power. We need to model His love. We need to bring ourselves under the control of the Spirit. How do we do that? As we read the Word of God and apply it to our lives. As we spend time praying. As we spend time serving in His power. As we do what what John 16 says, that we're to abide in Christ. He says there in verse 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. you got to maintain discipline. you got to walk in fellowship with God. you got to put your gift to service. God can do amazing things. Really is amazing what God can do in the life of a person who just sells out to Jesus. Many of you are testimonies of that. Ted Trailer, he's the pastor of Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. He's not a personal friend. I've met him several times and been around him several times. And he's just one of those guys that's, you know, 20, 20 so years, maybe 25 years older than me, that I've looked up in, looked up to in ministry for, for some time now. Last week, I was at a conference here in Richmond, and he was there, and he was sharing, and I heard him tell a story about a guy that came to his church many, many years ago. Came to Olive Baptist. First thing you need to know before I get into the story here, and I'll try to tell it as quickly as possible, but uh, you need to know that, that, that Ted Trailer is a red-headed, fair-skinned, North Alabamian redneck, right? He pastors a, a pretty good-sized church in Pensacola, Florida, but he's just a solid preacher, but he's a redneck. He's got that Bama Alabama accent, it's strong, it's thick, it's, he draws things out. And, 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 and then there was this guy, I think his name was Carlos. I may be wrong on the name, but it doesn't matter the guy's name. I'm just going to call him Carlos. Uh, it could be George Majugger, I don't know, but I, I, let's just call him Carlos for now. Carlos from New York, former gang member, drug dealer, spent time in prison because of his criminal activity. And I believe it was in prison where Carlos came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God radically transformed his life and some sort of circumstances moved him from where he was from down to the panhandle of Florida and he became a member of Olive Baptist, Baptist Church. Olive Baptist Church. Carlos got involved in the ministry there because God had done a great work in his heart and he put his yes on the table. I guess one day he came to Pastor Trailer and he said, Pastor, I, I really believe that God... Want, Wants to 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 bring a, or to start a ministry here that's reaching out to people who have my sort of background, drug dealers and alcoholics, people in the sex industry, people just you know really rough around the edges. And here's this guy's all tatted up and and uh, Ted Trailer grew up in a strong Baptist home. He probably I don't think he's ever even had a drink of alcohol in his life, and just that type of guy. It's like totally different contrast between these two people. Uh, They're totally different folks, but this guy Carlos comes and says, Pastor, I think that we need to do this. And so Trailer said, all right, you're the man. You're going to do it. And so Carlos started this ministry, began to reach out and serve the people in the area that were caught up in this type of lifestyle. Alcoholics began to come, and drug addicts began to be reached. People in the sex industry, prostitutes began to, to come to Jesus, and things just grew and grew and grew. And so it started from these rehab type of uh, programs started from real, real small, like a handful of people on, uh, on one night of the week turned into t- dozens of people every night of the week meeting at the church, finding Jesus, finding healing and restoration in their lives. Fast forward several years, Carlos's uh, activity as a younger man finally caught up with him. I think he contracted some sort of brain tumor or some sort of cancer or something like that 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 just took him quickly, and he died. He died just a few months ago, I believe. At his funeral, this guy who had no theological education, who was a drug addict, he was a drug pusher, he spent time in prison, he was a gang member. At his funeral, the line was as long as you can imagine for people just filing into the room to pay their respects to Carlos. Saying, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Carlos investing in me. Prostitutes were coming, drug addicts were coming, alcoholics were coming. All of these people, men, women, had found Jesus they'd been discipled by Carlos and and the others that he had discipled, and their lives are totally different all because this guy who had a small flame in his life when Jesus deposited his spirit in there and he said yes to that, he allowed the giftedness and the circumstances of his life not to be a hindrance but instead embraced, hey, this is my lifestyle I have the ability to reach back into that culture where like Ted trailer could not I couldn't necessarily personally reach into that culture because I have no experience there but But those who have been in that culture, who have found Jesus, can now reach back there and bring others out of it. And so these people are coming to his funeral, standing there testifying, proclaiming that Carlos has influenced me. Why did they influence? Why was he an influence to them? It's because he allowed the Spirit of God that deposited this gift in his life to be used and utilized for the glory of God and for the good of others. He said, that's awesome, Pastor. Glory to God for what happened in Carlos's life. You see, God doesn't want it just to happen in Carlos's life. He wants it to happen in each and every one of our lives. He wants to use you to reach your side of the tracks, if you will. And when we do, do that as a church, who knows what God will do to a community? Who knows what God will do in a county, in a state, in a nation, when we really get serious about the Spirit's deposit in our lives. Father, this morning, we're grateful that you have given us your presence. We're grateful that when we said yes to Jesus, you gave us, all of you, and all of the benefits that come with being a child of God. Father, we thank you that you've called us to now serve you, to to be your ambassadors. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, as if making an appeal be reconciled to God. And I pray this morning that we would be a Timothy who doesn't shrink back in fear but stands boldly and proclaims that Jesus is the way. That we invest our lives in the people who live around us. That we invest our lives in the people who know us best in our family. God, I pray that we would be like a Carlos reaches back into our type of people, whatever that may be. Uses our cultural influence to point people to Jesus. God, may we not make excuses, but may we utilize the gift. God, help us to make time. So many times, the reason we don't do anything for your, for your glory is because we just don't make time for it. God, I pray this morning, cross this room there would be a spirit of confession and repentance of that sin. Lord Jesus, we'd make time. We've got time for everything in our life that's important to us. I pray serving you would be important to us. As we move into a time of response, God, I pray that our hearts would respond in faith. God, I I pray that our hearts would respond in repentance. Lord, I pray that our hearts would would respond with a sense of joy and excitement that we get to serve a great God. We get to be a part of extraordinary things. God, I pray that you would invigorate us this morning in our faith. Fan the flame in our own lives, God, and then help us to continue to fan that flame for your glory and for the goods of those who live next door the good of those who live across the street, across the county, across the state and across the seas may they be impacted by the gospel because we personally are fanning the flame the gift of God in our lives every moment of every day in Jesus name we pray Amen